Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hello, Richard. Hey, Palma. How are you today? I'm really well. So for those of you who don't know Richard, he is my guest today. He has been on my show before. He, uh, Richard Dree is a financial planner with Scotia McLeod. He's going to answer all sorts of questions for us today. Today, we actually, before we do that, I want to ask you a question about interest rates. I don't understand. Please explain what. <laughs> no, no, I Maybe know. You could You're laughing. Them to me. I'm so confused. <laughs> I the employment rate is good. So interest rates went up. I don't get it. You it's would think a, it would be the reverse. Right. Yeah. So for for listeners, on June the seventh, twenty twenty three, our Bank of Canada governor increased interest rates in Canada again. And now the bank rate is actually 4.75%, which is actually the highest it's ever, the highest it's been since 2001. Now, what you're referring to is the bank rate, the 4.75, but we don't borrow money at 4.75%. We borrow money based on the prime rate. <laughs> prime right. bank. Anyhow, the prime rate is the bank, uh, like the TD or the CIBC or Bank of Nova Scotia. That is the rate they charge on loans. And today the bank rate is actually 6.95. Again, we're recording uh, on the 15th of June, and that's the current bank rate. So loans are based off of that particular number. And they're either a percent higher or a percent lower, depending on uh, the term and the credit risk. Just again, for a comparison, in March of 2020, that prime rate was 2.45%. So it's almost tripled. So you're wow. asking the question now that I sort of set the scene there. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, one more. Actually, one depressed. more. I forgot one more. <laughs> yeah, well, wait, wait till I tell you this one. Well, you already know this. Inflation hit a high in June of 2022 of 8.1%. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bank of Canada's target inflation rate is between 1% to 3%. Generally, they like to keep it at 2 and I'll, And I'll tell you how they do that. So in June of 2022, it actually hit eight, well above the target. As of April of 2023, which, which was just released last week, it came in at 4.4. So it has come down. To moving four, in the right direction. Moving in the right direction, but it is sticky. So it may be harder to get to the 2% than it was to get from eight down to four. Anyhow, to answer your question now, 
I think it all depends. Inflation, we could write, not we, but books have been written. Libraries have been written <laughs> or have been filled with the topic of inflation. So I, I don't really want to add anything. I, I think we all know what it means. Remember in 2020, we would go shopping for groceries. And I'll use me as an example. My daughter and I, we would spend about $200 a week in groceries in not in 2019. That same basket, nothing different, same basket costs now today about $400. Mm, and, and, and you probably have had the same mm -hmm. experience. Exactly. It's not that we're buying anything differently. We're buying the same products. So if I had $100,000 in the bank or 50000 or $10 million, whatever, I'm now buying fewer goods with the amount of money I have in the bank. So inflation is bad because it erodes the purchasing power of the money that I have in the bank. So we don't want inflation. Hey, but doesn't a good employment rate help? Right. It's With good the economy in general. It's good and bad. It you don't want the economy to have no employment growth, and then again, you don't want it to have too much employment growth. So inflation is driven by many factors, but one of the main factors is the demand. If the demand is is great, and we'll use an example of buying cars. If in Canada we had a demand of a million cars a year, but now because interest rates are low, because the, um, the employment market is strong, more people are out looking for cars. So now instead of selling a million cars, Canada could sell a million one hundred cars. So guess what happens to the price of cars if the demand goes up? Mm, they go the up. The price of cars go up, mm -hmm. hence exactly. inflation. Now what happened... Uh, in the last two or three years was not only did the demand go up because of all the subsidies that the governments issued in order to get us through the pandemic, but then we had supply chain issues. And now not only does there, not only is there a demand for a million and one car, but instead of having a million cars produced, we couldn't even produce a million cars. We could only produce say 900,000 cars. So the supply went down and the demand went up Hence, we had huge inflation. So okay. how do you bring inflation back down? You take money out of the system. How do you do that? You make, you make the cost of borrowing more expensive. So remember in 2020, you could borrow, you could buy a car, you could finance a car for 0%. So if I was on the fence, I, I would, I'd buy a car. It's costing me no financing. I, I buy a car and amortize it over five years. But today, remember, the bank rate is almost 7%. So you're going to buy a car, and if you're going to finance it or lease it, you're going to finance it at around 7%, give or take. Well, that's a lot more expensive than zero. It may zero. make you think twice. Yeah, but before you go into that car dealership, you, have, you look at your own personal bank account and say, my mortgage rate, which I bought, I took out say a year or two ago or three or four years ago was at around three or 4%. That same mortgage, when I have to renew it, will probably be closer to six, double. My line of credit has gone up. The cost of my line of credit, the cost of my visas have gone up, although you never want to put anything on a visa. 
so now before I even go into that car dealership, I don't have as much money available because I'm paying, I will, if I'm not already, pay more money on my mortgage and my line of credit. And of course, I've got to pay more for my groceries. So now all of a sudden, I don't have as much money to buy or to finance a new car. So now instead of selling a million one, remember, we use that number in Canada, we may only go back to a million cars, a demand for a million cars, or maybe even a little less. Okay, now I understand. We, we get a rebalancing of the supply and the demand, and you get prices growing a little bit slower, maybe hopefully one or two percent instead of four to eight. But there what? is sorry, go ahead. But there is a side effect. You could overshoot. You could increase interest rates too much. That's what I was just going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So then you got the opposite effect. Right. So instead of selling a million cars, say interest rates go up too much. Now you only sell 800,000 cars. Well, there's there's $200,000 cars, cars sold less than the equilibrium of a million. That means that you have to produce 20% less cars. That means you only need 80% of your labor force. So you're going to lay off 20% of the, of the people that you had before. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to then be laid off. They won't have the money. They're definitely not going to buy a car. They definitely won't take the same number of vacations, go out for dinner, and they cut back. And then the negative, the negative effect occurs. Instead of a high demand, you have a lower and lower demand, and that wow. lowers prices. So the same thing will happen with homes. A lot of these people that took up mortgages two years ago, let's say at a very low rate, their mortgages are up for renewal. So does the Bank of Canada want them to uh, lose their homes? Because that could happen. Yeah, they don't want anybody. I don't, at least I don't know. I'm not, I can't speak for no, them. I know, but I don't of think, course. I don't nobody think there wants I, anyone to lose their homes. Yeah, but what I, I'm I don't saying is if they raise interest rates too high, right. I know it's not intentional. I'm just saying that if they raise them too high, it could be a It could be detrimental. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, they're looking for that equilibrium where rates are high enough not to increase demand excessively based on the supply and not too little so that you have higher and higher prices. Very difficult to do. They generally don't do it correctly. And not so, because they're not smart. Yeah. It's just that there are so many variables in the pie that, or the ingredients in the pie, they just can't get them all right. So, so, so do they just increase them and take a wait and see approach, basically? Well, we, we did do that. And as of yesterday, the uh, Federal Reserve in the U.S. Has, has done the same thing. Um, so for we had a we didn't have rate increases for two consecutive meetings uh, of the Bank of Canada. But because inflation has started to tick back up. Remember, I said it's four point four. Well, the last reading was four point three. So we're going the wrong way. We're going up again instead of down. And 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 even at 4.4 or 4.3, we're we're double where they want it to be. They want us to be at 2%. Right. But uh, you're right. What we do today with interest rates will not be felt completely until about a year or two down the road. Right. Those are so, the so basically, I don't know if you can answer this, but what are the implications then of higher interest rates 
if they continue to go up? Depending on how much they overshoot, if they overshoot, I'm not saying they will, you could le- it could lead to a recession. You could lead to removing so much money out of the economy because interest rates are so high that any money that we have is going to pay off interest on our debts that we don't have any money to buy anything else that we would normally have bought with credit. And by doing that, you're cutting back the number of jobs that are available. Mm-hmm. They know people that are cut are laid off, don't have the money to spend, and you get that negative cycle. So wow. <laughs> I hope you understand it. Uh, it's It's very difficult to follow it because you would think high employment is good news and it is good news. But if the demand is too strong, it forces prices to go up. And one of the ways to reduce the demand is by increasing interest rates so that you have less money available to borrow. Okay. Well, let's hope they do it. <laughs> let's hope they do it right. They do it right. Exactly. Well, you well, and I remember back in the early 1990s when mortgage rates were at 14, 15%. That's right. My mortgage rate at that point was 13 and a half percent. Yeah. Right. And that caused an economic recession mm-hmm. in Canada and in the U.S. So they, did they overshoot? Well, you might argue that they did, but they killed inflation for about 25, maybe 30 years. They killed it. Now, again, listeners, today we are going to talk about investment accounts and tax implications in Canada for widows and widowers. The first thing I want to ask you about, I'm a huge believer in the tax-free savings account, but what's the difference between a TFSA, which is a tax-free savings account, and an RRSP? How do we know which one we should be contributing to? Yeah, very good question. I I hear it all the time. Should I contribute to my RRSP or should I contribute to my TFSA? So let's just sort of build the case for one or the other. Actually, Paul, I can't give you a a clear-cut answer, but I'll give you ways to identify which might be better for you. So an RRSP stands for a Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And in the U.S., you have various vehicles that are same, the same. And the other one is called a tax-free savings account. Now, it depends on what your goals are. So let's start with the tax bracket. If you're in a high tax bracket in Ontario, then when you make a contribution to your RRSP, you can deduct the amount that you're contributing. So if you're in a high tax bracket, you are looking for tax deductions. I would probably argue, again, I'd have to look at the entire case, that if you made an RRSP contribution, you would get a tax deduction. And being in a higher tax bracket, it would be very beneficial. If you put the same amount into a TFSA, you would not get a tax deduction. You would get tax-free growth, but you wouldn't get a tax deduction. So if you were in a high tax bracket, I'd probably put my money in an RRSP over the TFSA. But again, it depends on all the other uh, criteria being the same. Another criteria would be your goal. If your goal is is short-term, let's say you want to buy a car like we talked about earlier, then I think you should put your money in a TFSA. Because when you take the money out of a TFSA, 
there's no there's no taxes to pay on the growth that you've incurred while the money was in the plan. Whereas if you took money out of an RRSP, the amount that you take out is taxable. So okay. if it's short term, probably a TFSA would be better. If it's long term, well, they're both long term. You could do either one, actually. But if it's short term, it should probably be a TFSA. A TFSA. Well, I so contribute the, the, to both. Well, it's great to contribute to both if you have the opportunity financially. The RRSPs are larger contribution limits. They're based on your earned income. And it's 18% of your earned income to a maximum, depending on the year. I think, I don't even know what we're at today, 25, 26,000. Whereas a TFSA, the limits on a TFSA are not based on earned income. They're flat and they're $6,500 in 2023. Okay. So you can put more money in an RRSP. To that's an another RRSP. that's another factor. Oh, another thing you should consider to help you decide which one you should uh, invest in is your age. The older you are, the less time you have to uh, to leave your money in an RRSP because at the age of 71 you have to take your money, you have to begin taking money out of an RRSP. So if you're close to 71, might be more be beneficial to invest in in a TFSA first and then an RRSP because the amount of time that it can stay in an RRSP is reduced. Whereas in a TFSA, you can leave the money in until the very last day of your life. Oh, okay. So you so, got a and, longer right. Okay, that's that's, that's so. so I, I can't know. tell you which one to invest in. You're saying you like TFSAs. I do. Uh, I just like taking out the money, not having to pay tax on it. <laughs> yeah. But again, it depends on the tax bracket. Anyhow, we won't re rehash yeah, we it. Don't, but... yeah, thank you. <laughs> so how, if, if you're widowed, if it's just happened, how do I change ownership from my spouse or partner to my name? Yeah, that's a good question too, because we've all gone through that. Um, not all widows and widows, widows and widowers. Yes, unfortunately, have we that. have all gone through that. Yes. Yeah. The people listening have gone through it. It depends on the beneficiaries of the plan. If you've selected your spouse as a beneficiary on an RRSP or a TFSA, then that money would flow to him or her on your death without any taxes. So it'd be a tax-free rollover. If you actually had someone else as a beneficiary, let's say you had your parents, your mother, your father, that money would then go to him or her. In fact, there's this case in front of the courts today where the man dies, died, and the beneficiary to the RRSP is his mother. Oh, now, and he was married. He was married and had children. Oh, boy. So now the... The widow is arguing that he meant for her to receive the money, but it was a an oversight and he forgot to change the beneficiary. Which is possible. Which is possible. It's also possible that his mother needed the money more than his survivor, a, a survivor spouse or surviving spouse. So if that is indeed the case, then the husband created a very difficult 
situation and probably a very difficult relationship then between the mother-in-law. All and... of which could have been avoided mm -hmm. by selecting a beneficiary before he died or the moment he, he, or the moment he, he got married, he should have re-evaluated all his beneficiaries and determined which person right. he wanted. It may so, have been a situation where he meant to get to it. He meant to get to it, but never got to it. Yeah. had could have had a sudden heart attack and never got to it. The other uh, op option is that there is no beneficiary. So it's bad enough that you have a beneficiary that is outdated, but what if you don't even have a beneficiary? Mm -hmm. Well, then the RRSP and the TFSAs are liquidated and they're distributed by your directions of the will, in the will. So liquidated so, by who? By the executor of the will. Okay. So he or she will sell everything, pay the taxes, and then distribute the money to whoever the beneficiaries of the will are. So the spouse could may not even be in the will. <laughs> wow. She or he, that money could be left to the kids. It could be left to a brother or sister. And then what if there isn't a will at all? Then in Ontario, there is a hierarchy of or a schedule as to who receives the money. But all of this could be avoided if you pick and keep up to date your beneficiary. With your beneficiary. Noted. Well noted. Yeah. So what happens um, with investments that are not in an RSP, like a house, stocks, things like that? Yeah, they're, they're called non-registered or, or cash accounts. So again, it comes down to ownership. So with your house, for example, if you and Dave owned it together in what is called um, joint ownership with rights of survivorship, when A dies, it goes to B, who is the spouse. She receives it tax-free or tax-deferred, depending on what the asset is. And that happened to me as well. Mary and I owned the home jointly, and I inherited her portion on her passing. But again, if she owned the house or if she owned the stock portfolio on her own, the executors would sell the house, sell the stock portfolio, and then divide the money according to the will, the directions in the will. So, so the executor would take it upon themselves or would have to, would they have to sell the home? Well, if you're the executor, if the surviving spouse is the executor, he or she would not sell the home. But yeah, if, uh, they might. Hmm. Interesting. So again, before you pass away, again, long before you pass away, you should be evaluating the ownership of all your 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 possessions your house your stock portfolio your your registered accounts all very very important to evaluate who owns it and who the beneficiary beneficiaries are okay i have another question for you oh you're full of questions today. i am today and this one again i sound like i'm aggravated by a lot today interest rates and now this uh -uh. but <laughs> i worked you for need many... a vacation i do i need a vacation <laughs> i worked for many years at a at, at a hospital in in toronto called the hospital for sick children and i have a locked in pension rrsp i can't touch it though so why are you upset because I should, 
have access to it. That is money I contributed. Well, you and your employer, but you're right. you're saying that you should have it available for you to do what you want with it. I should, and Not, I have I haven't been able to touch yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I kind of agree with you, but I also don't agree with you. But let me explain what they are. Okay. I'll, when you worked at Sick Kids or the Hospital for Sick Children, you were part of a pension plan. And generally, the pension plan requires both the employer and the employee to contribute a certain amount of money based on your income. That amount of money is invested. And on re at retirement, they pay you a pension for the rest of your life. So it's meant to fund your retirement. And what happened in your case and happens in many cases, you retire or you quit or you, you know, get fired too. And so it, the pension terminates. There's no more contributions and you have the opportunity at that point to bring it with you. And in your case, you did. You put it into an RRSP. But the government says, if you take money from a pension plan, you have to put it in what is called a locked-in RRSP or a locked-in uh, lira, if locked-in RIF if you're older. So what that does is that you can't touch the money until you're 55, and you can't put any more any more money into the plan, even if you had money available, you couldn't put any more money. So it freezes it. Okay. So after 55, I can take it out as, as you can't I wish? Take, no. That's the other thing is that there <laughs> are there is a maximum that you can take out, which is also the minimum. So they tell you exactly how much you can take out based on your age. You can't say, well, I need more money in 2023 because I need a car. I want to take a bit more money out. I'll pay the taxes and we're good. No, you can't do that with a riff. Sorry, with a lift or a locked-in so, RRSP. Okay. So then the lira becomes a riff. Yeah, I kind of uh, jumped ahead. When you're 71, you have to convert your locked-in RRSP. Long way away from me. <laughs> into, well, yeah, you're a baby. In you have to lock it into what is called a locked-in income fund or a locked-in riff. And other provinces have different names for them, but they're virtually the same. And again, you can't put any more money in. Well, I never could. But there is a certain amount of money that you have to take out and pay taxes on every year for the rest of your life. Okay. So presumably at that point, you're retired and you're, you're not making as much. So your tax level is lower. Yeah, that was the Maybe. theory. <laughs> right. The theory is that you're, when you're working, you're at a certain tax bracket. When you're retired, you actually are in a lower tax bracket because you've lost your employment income. And I would say the majority of people will be in that category. Okay. Um, but there are some people that will be in a higher tax bracket or the highest tax bracket while they're working and even after they've finished working. They'll always be in a high tax bracket. Okay. Understood. That's, that is a topic for another show. That's another show altogether. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I have learned a lot today, honestly. Really? I really <laughs> have. And while I've learned a lot, you know, I like to end the show, the podcast by asking what you've either learned through your journey or what you'd like to say about today's show. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, I, I think you probably know where I'm going to go. Uh, I think it's a very, very important decision to make uh, when you're picking your beneficiary. Don't do it lightly and make sure you keep it up to date. Make sure the beneficiaries in your will or wills are up to date. Make sure all your accounts are properly owned. If you own a home, you will you want to consider joint ownership. If you have assets like stocks and bonds, you may also want to consider joint ownership rather than uh, individual ownership. So I think a good exercise every now and then is to go through everything you own and determine if if a beneficiary can be selected, make sure you have one selected and it's the one that is appropriate at that particular time. And then if you can't pick a beneficiary, like you can't pick a beneficiary on a house, um, then make sure that it's in the right ownership. Should it be joint ownership? Should it be individual ownership? Or maybe even should it be corporate ownership? So those are really you know, very important decisions that will help you minimize the tax on death, first death and second death. And it'll also help you defer the tax uh, for potentially many, many years. Like for example, I'll give you an example, Palma. Mary passed away at 57. I was her beneficiary on her RRSP. So that money came to me tax-free. Had I not been her beneficiary, she would have had to pay the taxes in the year of her death. So you can imagine, I'm not going to touch that money now until I'm um, 71. So between 57 and 71, I can't even do the math. That's a lot of years. That's about 20 years of tax deferred growth that I will have. So there's a tremendous opportunity to defer additional tax if you have the right beneficiaries and the right ownership. Okay, thank you. How about you? you? What did you earn, learn? Well, while I learned a lot, actually about investment accounts and, and and such, based on what you said regarding interest rates and their unpredictability, I think the thing I take away from this the most is pay off anything or pay into anything that has uh, that is susceptible to interest rates. So if you have a line of credit or um, a credit card balance, then pay that off or pay into it as as much as possible. That's that's what I learned. We don't know what's happening with interest rates, so I would take care of that. I totally agree. I, I, I'm hearing that a lot of people are making the assumption that interest rates will start to come back down, and they're believing that they'll come back down to where they were in 2020 during the pandemic. I would, I don't know where rates are going to go, but I would argue that rates in 2020 were unusually low. <laughs> they were historically low. They probably have never been that low ever. That is not the normal place for interest rates to be. So we are closer today to where the historical norm has been for interest rates. So if you are planning your budget based on what you just said is perfect, like if you're thinking that interest rates are going to go back down to historical lows, I don't know if they will or they will not, but I would not be budgeting or betting that they will. Hmm. If they go back down, great. If they don't go back down, which I kind of feel they won't, but I don't know, then I'll be okay as well because I'm paying down debts. 
Mm. And, and that's what, what we have to be doing. Yeah, I'd be paying down the more expensive debts first. Mm-hmm. So credit cards, probably lines of credits, anything that has a variable rate interest. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, very, exactly. Pay that in. I mean, again, that's a line of credit. So pay that mm-hmm. off as much as possible. Yeah. Or consolidate your, I think we talked about that last yeah. in the last podcast, right? Consolidate those high interest loans into potentially one loan at hopefully at a lower rate, if you can, especially uh, credit card debts are crazy. Okay. You know, I need to have you back on. There's just so <laughs> much more I need to ask regarding finance that uh, this is, uh, this is not, this is not the last podcast uh, where we talk about happy finance to come back. for sure. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Richard. Bye-bye everyone. Bye Palma. Hey listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.